0: President Obama expanded federal funding for certain embryonic stem cell research, and many are excited about what it means to the entire field of discovery of new drugs and medical treatments. Welcome to the second interview in a series of discussions about stem cells on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Today, I'm speaking with Linda Powers of the Maryland Stem Cell Commission. Ms. Powers was the first chair of the Maryland Stem Cell Commission and is co-founder under and Managing Director of Tucan Capital, a $140 million venture capital fund based in Bethesda, Maryland. She is well known in the stem cell industry nationwide as well as Europe, China, and India. Ms. Powers has over 25 years of experience in venture capital, mergers and acquisitions, corporate finance and restructurings, as well as public-private partnerships. She holds a BA from Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School of Economics and has a law degree from Harvard Law. School. She joins us today from her offices in Bethesda, Maryland. Linda Powers, welcome to Reach MD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals.
1: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: Well, it is good to have you because I know you are very well known in the field. And if you could give us a little exactly about what President Obama did in regard to funding for embryonic stem cell research and why the Maryland Stem Cell Commission and folks such as yourself support what President Obama did.
1: Well, he took a very important big first step towards ushering in a new era without restrictions or at least without undue restrictions on the scientific research. What he did was he lifted the federal restrictions that President Bush had put in place that blocked federal funding through the National Institutes of Health for research on embryonic stem cells, that are derived from embryos made in fertility clinics. What kind of surprised everyone was that he didn't go as far and as boldly as was anticipated from some of his comments about it during the campaign, and he did not address or call for the lifting of certain legislative restrictions that still limit some kinds of embryonic stem cell research. So that's still out there.
0: What will be opened with this that was stymied under the Bush administration for all those years?
1: Well, a lot. What will be opened in a nutshell is being able to use surplus embryos that were created not for research, that's the key point, that were created for fertility purposes, for fertility programs,
0: In vitro fertilization for being the primary example.
1: Exactly. Couples that are trying to have a baby and need some technology assistance with it and that were created, the embryos, for that purpose and that were not needed and are now in frozen storage, just sitting in frozen storage as surplus. There are, by some people's counts, as many as several hundred thousand embryos sitting in frozen storage And those are what were not ever able to be touched all these years under the Bush restrictions. Even if the couples who created the embryos were perfectly happy to have them donated for research. Now that can go forward.
0: And a lot of these, or most of these, would probably have been headed for discard anyway.
1: Yes, and that's the thing that just made it so frustrating for the scientific community and for patient supporters and even for the couples who had created the embryos and were willing to donate them to science, is that they had to go in the trash can instead.
0: What is happening now from what you know of? Are there efforts afoot that researchers are going to these fertility clinics and saying, okay, you can give them to us now, or how will all this work?
1: Uh, good question. So you don't want the thundering herd of scientists running down the street to the local you know, assisted reproduction clinic. No, no, no. It's all very organized and formalized. The step that's underway right now, the National Institute of Health put out some guidelines to implement the new freedom, the new ability to use embryos that were created in fertility clinics because President Obama stressed that he wanted this new freedom to be exercised on a basis of responsible, an appropriate science. And so the National Institute of Health has spelled out very detailed guidelines about what might be one viewpoint of what's appropriate. And it's all kind of consent requirements and record-keeping requirements and so forth. And these have been very controversial because they've raised such a high bar that it looks like, ironically, the majority of those hundreds of thousands of embryos sitting in frozen storage wouldn't qualify under these guidelines. So There's been a torrent of comments today, May 26th, is the deadline for comments, and everyone should definitely put their word in.
0: And so going forward, what do you think will happen? There have been researchers that have been stymied with this, and if so, if you could talk a little bit about what hasn't been done in the last seven or eight years.
1: Well, yeah, you know, over the last seven or eight years, researchers who wanted to work with embryonic stem cells rather than adult stem cells had to go through just enormous burdens and waste. What they had to do is they had to set up whole separate laboratories, not just separate programs, physically separate laboratories. They had to find and scrounge up from any sources they could find non-government funding to pay for everything in those labs, the equipment, the ingredients used, everything, before they could do any science. So years were wasted getting all that organized, and huge amounts of dollars were wasted by having these parallel labs where not even one Petri dish from one lab could be used in the other lab if there were any federal dollars, no embryonic stem cell research. So, of course, that held everyone back.
0: A lot of people might not understand that there were a lot of dollars wasted in the sense that if you would have been a a researcher at a school in California where the state has money for embryonic stem cell research, that particular researcher might have to set up a separate lab because he's getting federal dollars for an adult project.
1: Yeah. Well, so in California, they successfully passed a bond initiative to allow funding of as much as $300 million a year of state money to fill the huge void created by the blockage of federal dollars. But those state dollars had to be used in this parallel fashion, just like I just described. And other states didn't have that benefit. I mean, to pick a hugely well-known university that had to go through the same thing, Harvard, take Harvard, Harvard is one of many leaders in the country in stem cell research, and there's a well-known researcher there named Doug Melton, and he's got a strong interest in diabetes. His children have type 1 diabetes. He's a leading researcher, and he had to go out and put together an entire new stem cell institute funded entirely by private money. He managed to put together 17 million dollars But instead of that $17 million being used efficiently, leveraging together with federal dollars, leveraging them, they had to do everything separately. And it's become a very strong, well-respected institute, but it's so wasteful.
0: Well, if you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to a second interview and a series of discussions about stem cells on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson and joining me today is Linda Powers of the Maryland Stem Cell Commission and we're talking about basically what's going on with the movement now that President Obama has expanded federal funding for embryonic stem cell research. The Maryland Stem Cell Commission is a supporter of that and we're just talking about ways that has sort of lifted a burden from research that's gone on. And if I could ask you has this set some folks behind? And if so, how? I mean, because a lot of the political rhetoric during the campaign trail was that, you know, we're seven to eight years behind. Are we behind because of the Bush administration not funding this?
1: So we're certainly behind in the scientific research on those particular kinds of cells cells from human embryos made in the normal way biologically. But interestingly, some would argue, and there's really no way to prove this one way or the other, but some would argue that by being blocked on that path, it's really accelerated the research on some other categories of cells, stem cells, that are pretty promising themselves. Certainly, adult stem cell research has gone forward and it's gotten very little attention, but it's in the clinic with some very exciting medical treatments that are much needed by patients, but also alternatives to the embryonic stem cells, so-called IPS cells of several kinds, have now been developed using a person's own skin cells. Would that have progressed as fast if the embryonic hadn't been blocked? Something we'll never know, but it's an interesting point that proponents make.
0: And also, I wanted to tap into your knowledge of, given your full-time job as managing director of Toucan Capital, and given the sort of horrible economic environment that we're in, is there money for embryonic stem cell research? I mean, is this a risk that people are willing to take in this climate? I mean, has that been affected at all?
1: It's still really, really limited. I think that we're starting to go through a transition We're starting to see investment funds taking a look at the space that they weren't looking before. For example, the very well-known firm Kleiner Perkins made their first stem cell investment a little over a year ago in a company called Izumi, which is doing the iPS cells. You're also starting to see money coming into the field from strategic players. Pfizer has been a huge leader in the space. They put over $100 million into stem cells just in 2008. They've created a whole business unit doing just that. So I think that you're starting to see money coming into the space on a bigger scale than was the case even two years ago or or prior. But the amount of that money going to embryonic stem cells in particular is still pretty limited.
0: And most of the work is in the adult arena. And as you say, I suppose the good news is is that there is a lot of headway being made.
1: Yeah, this is the biggest, I think, untold story in terms of the public news coverage of stem cells. It's a very, very unfortunate thing that most of the news coverage about adult stem cells has been to the effect that they're really not very useful They really are kind of second-class citizens, and, well, if you can't use embryonic stem cells, okay, you could kind of make do with adult stem cells. That is an utterly wrong perspective about adult stem cells. Adult stem cells, there's nearly 200 different adult stem cells in clinical trials today treating things like heart attack, stroke, spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis, Just a wide range of diseases, and it's not getting any attention. And the fact of the matter is, adult stem cells that are targeted to do a specific job in a specific tissue are actually just what you want for commercialization or for medical treatment, whether you view it as a business or you view it as medicine. If you want to fix a particular tissue, you don't want those cells to turn into every cell type in the body. You only want them to turn into that cell type. So I think you're going to start to see over time... A complete rethinking of the value of adult stem cells. It's an untold story so far.
0: Are there any companies to watch in particular? I know that like Geron, they funded their own research and they have an embryonic stem cell trial that's going into humans this year. But what about the field as a whole? I know in, in Maryland, I think Osiris is maybe going before the FDA in the next year or so. Are we going to see more of that? Are we going to start to see some of these stem cell trials come to later clinical stages where we might even see an approval in the next three or four years?
1: Yes, that's in fact going to be, that's a great question because I think that's going to be one of the most important developments in the field and you're going to see the money start to flow after that because what the field has been missing up till now is a success story, any success story. And you do have companies that are in late-stage clinical trials, meaning they're only as little as a year and a half to two or three years away from finishing clinical trials and getting on the market. Examples. Yes, Osiris in Maryland has phase 2 and 3 clinical trials for things like inflammatory conditions, heart attack, graft versus host disease, which is something that happens in a hospital setting and it really can be deadly. And another company, which is a European company called Tigenix, has finished all their clinical trials. With a cartilage repair product. How many Weekend Warriors out there need cartilage repaired in their knees? Well, that's not three years away or two years away. That's probably within the next one year. So there's quite a lot of specific products that are farther along than people realize.
0: Well, with that, we'd like to thank Linda Powers, who's been our guest. You've been listening to a special series of discussions about stem cells on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson. I've been your host. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on the air.
1: Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and I'd like to thank you for listening.